that means you're officially live. That's good. That's good. Take two. You know, you, what, you know what it reminds me of that? It's like, you know, in the, in the old movies when they have like scene, blah, 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 yeah. take two, it has that little clap. The clappers. <laughs> Is that what you're doing? Yeah, because if I clap, then the audio on the cameras and then the audio on the microphones, it'll show the clap so I can sync everything. Oh. Because the camera audio is going to be different than the microphone audio because I started at different times. But I'm going to use the microphone audio for the cameras because it sounds way better. Mm. Um, that's good. That's good. That's smart. Yeah. So that's one of the things I'm learning, right? That's a little sneak peek into into <laughs> what it takes to learn how to produce a podcast. Yes, you know? it is. That's and awesome. Lear- learning all that stuff. Have you ever been like thought about creating a podcast? Because I feel like... You're good at talking to people, and you have a story. Uh, I, I don't know, but you see, I don't know if I've ever been thinking about creating a podcast. But uh, at one point, I wanted to. Uh, I was I was uh, preaching a little bit, mm-hmm. and and when I, when I would like see myself online, I was like I would like take notes and things to improve and stuff like that. Yeah. So I would be like, hey, you know, I gotta I gotta slow down, speak clearly. I wanna I gotta make sure I accentuate certain things and things like that. So it's, it was a learning process. Did you like watching yourself back or did that feel cringy? Oh, it felt cringy. <laughs> yeah. So cr- because I think everybody everybody is their own worst critic. Yeah. And and for me too, for for myself, like when I saw myself I was like, oh man, maybe I should have wear something a little more loose. It's like <laughs> I don't know if I'm winning weight or what's going. You no, know, the little things amplified when you see them yourself in you, you know. Yeah. I agree. I was doing this for a group of kids and teaching them how to podcast and one of the exercises is i have them record a podcast all of them and then i play it back Mm -hmm. and the whole time every time someone's about to come up they hide in their hoodie or they put their head in their hands because they don't like their voice and i always tell them you have to get to a point to where you can at least tolerate your voice because you're going to have to listen back to it to edit you're going to hear yourself Mm -hmm. and each person, there's studies, interesting studies on it. Like we could Google them and pop them up over here, but people have a weird relationship to the sound of their own voice, you know, mm. which is funny. And the big thing is that all of this audio stuff manipulates our voice so it sounds differently than what you and I hear and what you're going to hear whenever it's playing back. And now that we're live in the studio, <laughs> were you thinking about what to say on the podcast? Uh well, I wasn't thinking about it, but I was gonna. Uh, one thing that I say, I told myself was just to be honest, yeah. to be honest and be as real as I can, because I think that's what I, a lot of uh, is missing right now in 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 in, in our lives is honesty and, and be real, mm-hmm. because everything is is airbrushed and everything looks pretty, but yeah. you know, it's not as real anymore. I think I don't know. That authenticity. Yeah. So have you always been someone good at being authentic? Uh, I, no, I mean, I think it's with the maturity. You learn to accept your flaws and, and, and how life is. And, and then you change mm-hmm. and you mature and you, you start to be more honest with yourself. Because I think when you're younger, you know, you always try to present the best, the best, your best self. So people can just look up to you and, 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 and things yeah. like that. I catch myself doing that because we're both the babies. Yeah. On, yeah like right. I know you said on your mom's side, you're the baby. And then I have three older siblings and I'm the baby. And growing up, I could tell everybody was watching me grow up, which is cool because we get more caretakers. And But a big part of that is also 
it's the last opportunity, you know, like let's make it great. And mm -hmm. I saw myself covering up my flaws for a long time. Even now I have a hard time putting things all together and being real. Like whenever I'm in, in church, sometimes I have a hard time people telling, telling people I do a podcast because mm -hmm. I don't want it to seem like I'm just trying to get people to look at my podcast. Mm -hmm. And then whenever I'm talking to people outside of church, I, about podcasting, sometimes I have a hard time telling them that I'm really involved in a church. It's funny the way that happens because I've talked to a lot of people about certain things in life and it being hard to present themselves fully. So I'm hoping at some point I will get better at that and then exemplify that because there is a need for that, like you said, that need to present the authentic self. And that's the relatable process, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes things so relatable. So you grew up in Ecuador. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Ecuadorian to the heart. You know, I mean, it, I wasn't. I moved moved here when I was 15. I grew up. Main language was Spanish. I didn't speak any English when I came to the states. And and you were 15 when you moved to the United I States. Moved, yeah, I was 15 when I moved to the states. And what was that moment like when you learned you were going to move to the U.S.? Well, we made a decision. It was a thought out decision. So my mom gave me the choice. She sat down and was like, look, you've lived with me for 15 years. Your dad wants to take you to live in, in the United States. And she was like, but you can stay with me. It's like, I'm not trying to make you feel like you have to go. I want you to make the choice where you want to go in life from right here. Do you want to go to the state, try to take advantage of all the opportunities that's going to present they're going to present themselves to you there, or you're going to try to grow here and try to take advantage of all the opportunities that could present themselves here. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I told my mom, it's like, look, you've been putting up with me for 15 years. I think all the gray hairs that you have, is things, I was like, probably like 90% of them are my fault. So <laughs> I was like, mom, you need a break from us. You need a break from, not just from me and my brothers, but I was like, you need a break from me. Wow. I was like, you need to just try to fuck. Look, what I told my mom is funny because I was like, mom, go get a boyfriend. Go live your life. Do you, you know, take care of yourself. You don't have to worry about me no more. And so I, I feel like her. that's mature for a 15 year old to be thinking like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just saw my mom that, that she had, she had to go. To, she went through so many things, you know, yeah. my heart was for her to be able to live her own life. So you felt like a burden. I felt, I, I think I was a burden. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think I felt like one. I think I was. <laughs> and you recognize that? I recognize it because, well, I can recognize it now. Maybe back then I didn't recognize it. Right now it's like hindsight. I know the place where I was and I recognize what I was. Mm -hmm. But at the same, I, when I was saying that, I just wanted to give my mom a break for me. That's it. Yeah. So what were you? Oh, I was, I was a trouble, bro. I was trouble. I was I was a crazy kid. You know what what I used to do when sometimes when I used to get bored? Hmm. I would climb up to the top of my house and jump off the roof. Wow. Just to see what it feels like. Did you get hurt? Uh not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I never broke a surprisingly never have ever broken a bone in my body. But I've gotten hurt. That's because okay. when you were young, you were jumping off roofs, so yeah. your body really <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it's that water from Ecuador, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The water from Ecuador. So you're jumping off roofs 
you were getting drunk at school. Oh, yeah. It was bad. You were exploring well beyond your neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Well, when I was a baby, I was born in a, in a, in a small, it wasn't even close to being a, what they call in Spanish, caserío, which is multiple houses, which is called casa. It's just multiple houses close together. And that's like a, like a little, little small town. Yeah. So it was, the condition there was really bad. Uh, my dad brought us there because it was my mom's, my, my, my dad's mom's house. They originally were married and all my brothers were raised and born and begin part of their life was started in, in the capital in Quito. But there was a point in, in, in life where they said like, ah, we have to go back. My mom, my dad's drinking, my, my dad's um, wasn't providing as good and the conditions got worse in Quito. And I think, I think that's when my, my dad cheated on my mom and had an extra kid. Mm-hmm. I have a, a, so on my mom's side, I have four, we're four. On my dad's side, in Ecuador, that we know is five now. We find out we have a, between my older brother and my, my older sister, there was in between them, there's another one that we found out about Recently? 10 years ago. 10 years ago, wow. Yeah, we were all grown when that happened. How did you find out? Uh, she, she looked for him because she... She knew who her dad was, but my dad didn't know that she existed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then your dad told you? Uh, well, he... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Well, because it, it's embarrassing to talk about your, your dirty laundry like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and even my dad hears this, I hope he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't take it in a bad way. But, uh, but she went to a, a TV show. In Ecuador? Publicized in, in Latin America. Not just Ecuador. It's Sábado Gigante. For anybody that knows this Hispanic culture, uh, they know what Sábado Gigante and Don Francisco is. Which Don Francisco is a, a guy from Chile, South America. But he came to, to over here to the States and, and has a show in Miami where it's like multiple things. Like things that, that are games, you win money. Things that like lost kids that find out who their dad is and everything. So she called him and told him the situation. And my stepmom told my dad that he wasn't going to spend any money, send any money over there until they'll find out who, if she was legitimate, yeah. his kid. Take a test. And, and she was like, uh, and my stepmom was like, you're not going to take any money. It's like, you figure out, we're not going to pay for any of it because what you make right here is for me and your daughter. Because right. on my dad's second marriage, I got a younger, younger sister. So... She didn't see anything else, like somebody that could help her. So she went to the TV show and, and it was aired. And, <laughs> and you know, the doctor came out and, and the DNA test of Mr. Miguel Paredes and Rebecca Mirayo, the DNA results are 99.9% that he is the father. And I was like, wow, ah. you are the father. Oh, yeah. Dang. Big time. He went through it. it Were was, you watching that live? I was very embarrassed and I was watching it live. Not live, but I watched it online because yeah. I was at work. Like, I, can, I, I still have this video saved. <laughs> the faces and the reactions. It's like, it's so cringy to watch it. It's like, oh, I that's bet. my dad. Oh, my stepmom. My yeah. sister's there too. I was like, oh, no. You grew up without a fatherly figure. Yeah. And that's hard because you can learn math and learn how to read and you were speaking Spanish, learning Spanish, but learning how to be really a, a, a young boy or a young man, it's not easy. So how did you learn how to be all that? Uh, it was it was trial and error, man. I mean, I didn't I don't think I 
I ever took it seriously. And I think it's just so, so much baggage from the very beginning, you know. We got sidetracked, but, uh, you know, like I said, my mom lived in a little hut, and their condition was so bad. Like, like I said, my, my dad got to a point where he was drinking so much that he was taking his money, and the little thing that my mom would make him. And, and this is not something that I remember. It's something that I talked to my mom about it because I wanted to know the truth. And I was like, Mom, what really happened? Why, what was it? Why do you feel like that? Because she told me that she wanted to abort me, and I was like, what was the condition that made you think that you needed to do that, mm-hmm. you know? That's and when question. I asked her, she was, she was, she was sad, and I was like, well, first of all, I don't want you to tell you this to make you, because she didn't want to talk about it. It was just hard things that, you, need, you know, you want to talk about it. When I called her, she was like, I don't want to talk about it. Can we talk about something else? I was like, Mom, I'm not asking to, because I want to dog on you. I, want to, I don't want to die. I just, just want to know. Because I want to appreciate where I'm at right now in life and where everything started. Mm-hmm. And when she started, she was going, she said that she was in a, such a bad condition. There was not a lot of money. He was drinking and spending it all and even taking it from her that my brothers and my sister, they were starving. They, they were, it was just a bad condition. They didn't have any new clothes. And when she found out that I was pregnant, the first thought that she wanted was, I don't want to have the kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to abort him because I don't want to bring another kid to suffer. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to her, she was like, yeah, I just, I, my thought was that you will be better off in heaven than in this hell. That's the place where she was living at. Wow. It kind of like made her have a sentiment towards me. Like I was, uh, before we started the podcast, I said, there was a little sentiment that my mom had that made her favor me over my brothers and my brothers didn't like that. But it was that, because she said that she was walking towards to find out more about how she could do it, but she couldn't even afford it. Wow. Because she, so when she couldn't afford it, she said that thoughts of her just jumping off a bridge and just finishing it all ran through her mind. Mm. That she'd rather just be done with all of it. And then some guy talked her out of it. She was like, don't do that. She's like, you can't. So so then my dad makes the decision that he wants to come to the States. And then uh, he, she, my mom gets a little help from my, from my aunt or something like that. And we had to live to one of my, my uncle's houses. So then we moved into the bigger town, which is Banyo. It's considered a, a city, but it's only about 14,000 people. And... um. And we're moving in there, and then and then my dad leaves me, and and then my mom is being bullied by 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 my dad's family because you know she's a little darker, and there was a lot of a lot of animosity saying that she was just a little Indian from the mountain and things mm. like that. So mm-hmm. she had to hear all of this from 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 my dad's side of the family. And then me and my brothers were finally in the city. That's when I started adventuring outside of the city, and you know was playing on the streets all the time. And I was and I was always in the streets because my mom had to start working and she became the main provider. But with my dad out of the picture, there was nobody that was taking the money, beating her up and and go drinking it away. So our situation slowly started to get better. And then my dad, of course, when he helped, I don't know how much he helped. I wanna believe that he helped, you know, a little yeah. bit. Do you so. remember any particularly warm moments? Moments that you look back on and smile? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if I like. I I can smile at everything, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a lot of just just baggage, man. Like 
a lot of traumas, a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. I would fight with everybody. I was an angry little kid, mm-hmm. not growing up with no dad, and 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 and, and you know knowing that. He was just a strange person that would talk on the phone. And and then I was just, my brothers, they, they, they thought I was being favored. But my mom, so my mom's sentiment was, she was so glad that she didn't abort me. And I turned out to be such a live, funny person, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that she, she, every time she saw me and the, the joy that I was bringing to her, it made her more grateful that she didn't went through with it. Right. So she had this sentiment with me. It was a blessing. So so she was always like hiding a little candy that would give me an extra piece of candy when she could. Or and my brother saw that and they didn't like it. They would even bully me to the point where they're like, no, bu- when it is bullying, I don't know. But it's my siblings. I don't know if, mm-hmm. you know. But they would like put their thought and idea that I was adopted. <laughs> and I would hate that idea because this is my family. I was like, you're my brother. You're my sister. I don't want you guys. They would make me cry. And I would be like crying and just crying and couldn't even run to my mom because she'd be working and, you know. Yeah. And then being on the streets, that, that's where, where I think a lot of the stuff that, that, that define a lot of the years coming ahead, it was because when playing on the streets, we were exposed to a lot of people outside. And there was a guy that, that, that took me and then he, he, he molested me. He did certain things that, that shouldn't happen to a little five-year-old. And and then the innocence that little five year old kid had, it was taken from me. Yeah. So now I grew up with with different thoughts. My mind was different. You know, I was trying to. So I started to to try to f- just fit in. You know, the the, the feelings of, of not being wanted by my mom, the feelings of my dad being left out, and all these other stuff. So so now I got this also put in in it. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I grew up very awkwardly, social awkward. I would like prefer to be player, play, climb on the roof of my house and jump by myself and play by myself, and then play with other kids because I was, I was, it was something twisted in me, you know. Yeah. So that happens to you when you're five years old. I was, yeah, super young. And then, like I said, all the things happen because once that happened, something is broken in you. So you think that the world is is, is different. You see the world with a twisted sense of what it should be. Mm-hmm. So you know, I went to certain certain phases where I was confused. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't even have anybody to talk to about it because at one point I started to feel that I was dirty. That I didn't. That it was your fault. That it was my fault. You know. Mm-hmm. And then, and plus, you had not not being there. My mom feeling like I didn't being. My mom didn't want me and things like that. And it was it was a lot. So I started to drink when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Anybody, everybody thought that I was just, just you know, but a lot of people at that time. I don't think my mom knew at the time too why I was doing it so much. And then my mom would fight with my older brother, and 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 then they wouldn't know. And I would say like, oh, I'm gonna drink because my brother's not here. But in the back of my mind, I just wanted to drown those feelings of of not being wanted, those feelings of of being dirty mm-hmm. of feelings of, of having s- twisted thoughts in my mind mm-hmm. because they were, they were normal mm-hmm. so so yeah did the alcohol help i think it made it worse because when i got drunk those those feelings just made it worse it got worse yeah wow so i drink it more and mm-hmm. it was just a vicious cycle at that point. it was bad to a point to where you couldn't walk and all that yeah stuff. yeah so that's a lot of, like you said, psychological stress mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to navigate that. 
It is. Yeah, I'm only like 10, 12 years old at that point. I, I haven't even made it to the States. Yeah. <laughs> Which is more adding to it. You know, it's crazy. You decide to go to the States and you show up in New York. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Oh, man. I landed to, in the JFK airport. What was that like? I didn't know any English. I just tried to follow the crowd of people. And at that point, there was no no cell phones or anything like that, like that one. So there's an old guy. He speaks to me with a thick accent, Spanish, as best as he could, of course. I was like, okay, at least he stamps on paper, and we just keep walking. You know, like any airport, you just follow the little the little tunnel. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at the end of the tunnel, I see my dad. But that wasn't the first time that I saw him. So my dad came to the United States illegally. All right. And then... He gets divorced with my mom, and then he gets in trouble with the law because of his drinking. Mm-hmm. So the law here, you, you got to go through probation, you got to do all these things. So he gets involved with AAA, Alcoholics Anonymous. So he becomes, he changes. The change that needed to happen finally changes in him. So, you know, I don't want you guys to think that my dad is a bad person. He's... He did the best that he could. We was presented to himself. I There's think. an arc. And he has his own his own issues that he had to deal with, you know? Like, I had my own issues that I had to deal with. And I no longer battle those demons. I conquered them. But I'm pretty sure that he had his own demons he needed to fight. So he meets the, through AA. There's a lot of wind branches in it. All unknown support and families and things like that. And that's through that that he meets my, my stepmom. And when she meets him, she is a resident of the United States. She's legally here. So once she becomes, you are a resident, once you become a resident for a certain amount of time, you can apply for a citizenship. When she becomes a citizen, she fixes the papers for my dad. So he becomes a resident. And when that happens, they were able to ask my mom for the power of attorney over being minors that, that she can give it to my dad. And that's how my papers go through. So I know I always joke about like, like saying that I swam over here and all these other jokes that sometimes I, I, I joke about, but I was a straight flight. For I mean, the record. For the record, just, you know, mm-hmm. I'm here legally <laughs> yeah. for anybody that, you know. On the books. That on, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm legally here. And I came here and then uh, that's how my papers come through. So, so when he, once he, my dad got the residency, he flew to Ecuador to me and my brothers and, and we had that, 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 that dramatic. That was your first time meeting your dad? First time that I recall meeting my dad. Oh, of course, my older siblings, they knew who he was. They have some memories of him. But me, like, I remember in the airport, we we went there. And here comes him with his, his daughter, uh, with Noema, my youngest sister. And then my brothers and my dad, they're all like, oh, dad. Of course, in Spanish, you know. Oh, papa, mm-hmm. papi, papa, papa. They're just crying and they break up in tears. Everybody's running to him. And I remember just having this feeling that of oh, just a stranger. Yeah. All my brothers, all my three brothers just launch themselves to him and hug him and crying and everything. And I'm this, this kid that's like in the, in, the ba- in, in, the, in the back just standing and be like, I don't want to hug that guy. I just mm-hmm. barely know. I don't even know. And then my aunt, she's like pushing me. She's like, go hug him. He's your dad. Go hug him. You know, like, you know, her aunt's doing is like, why are you acting like that? And I'm like, I don't know this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I was the only one like like standing back and instead of taking steps forward towards him, I was taking stays back because he's a total stranger that I have no idea who he is. And then my aunt's pushing me. I finally, through the pushes and shovings, I, I go and hug him. And I started crying because of my brothers. I remember the tears that were falling out was because I saw the sentiment that my brothers and my sister had. And that's what made me get in, 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 the, sen- in the sentimental feeling. Well, like, okay, this is it. All right. This is, this is the guy that left us when he was younger. And, and I met him, and, and, and after that, he was, I met him, he's, like, making promises that he's going to take us to the United States, and things will be different, they're no longer going to be the same, that he's going to be present in our life. And we went to the counselor, and they were like, well, you can't take him. <laughs> so this happens when I was, like, 13 years old, right? And he said that, that his income, in order for us to, for people to come legally, you have to be able to prove that you make enough income. To provide for them. To provide for them. And at that point, he didn't have enough income to provide for me, my older brother, and my other other older brother, and me. My sister was not able to to be part of that because she had a kid when she was super young. Mm-hmm. So the way they say is like, but we can help you, you know. We can try to improve the situation so you can make this happen. And she's like, we can allow your older bro- uh, son, and because he's 18... He can work in your household, live with you, and together as a household, you can make enough money to provide in the papers for me and my brother. Okay. So we had to stay back. So my older brother was the guy that that, that, that was Went like to the U.S. first. Yeah, that came to the United States. But that is, in that time, and now I'm losing the person I always looked up to. That's my older brother. I love my older brother. He's the guy that always helped me out. He's the guy that's like like tried to do the best for us. He's the one that, he that in the his young age, you. that's, that's the guy that was trying to be the father figure for us. Mm-hmm. Now you take him away. So now I'm dealing with all this more rejection, you know? Do things get worse? For me, my drinking did got worse when he left. Mm-hmm. At that point, I, 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 my dad was like, I'm taking you with me. Just drop out of school. We drop out of school. They say no. So now I lose, I lose a year of school. And then, and then when I go back to school, I'm, I'm this person that's just mad with the world, drinking, talking back, cutting school, not being there, all these other stuff. So I lose another year of school. And then the year after, once my brother came here, started working, now we put the papers again, and now it's finally time for me to leave. So it got approved. So it got approved after that. And then you start packing. And then I start packing, and I'm like, well, I lose another year of school. <laughs> I'm still You're seventh be 25 grade. By the time <laughs> I'm you still in seventh grade, <laughs> fifteen years old. I'm still grade. in seventh grade. I never passed eighth grade. Wow. I was never been, never was in eighth grade, and never passed eighth grade. Wow. Don't 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 say that to my teachers in high school. Did you go they straight to ninth grade, or did you? Just I, they, not yeah, they showed drove me. <laughs> I came here. They looked at these transcripts. I think they were trying to make sense <laughs> yeah. of what was going on with all the mess in it, and they were like. Uh, Put him in ninth grade. Yeah. And you survived. You and made I made it. it. I, it's surprising enough. I made it. And I was an honor student on ninth grade. Were you really? <laughs> yes. But you had to learn English quickly, right? Yeah. And I didn't. Uh, it took, well, I did. I think, uh, I don't know what the, 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 the average to learn a new language is, but I learned it within about a year and a half, two years. I was, I was, I established a conversation wow. with anybody. 
you moved from Ecuador, but then you're in New York. <sighs> oh, that was, it was a culture shock. The food is different. Everything's different. And in Ecuador, you know, we don't look at people differently because of whatever the, you know, but here I got people as white, people as black, people as, as Asian and all mixed up in one high school. Our high school, I think it was like about, about 1200 people in the high school huh. and 80% of them were black and they were mean to us. They would try to get us in trouble all the time. Really? Because there they was the majority of them. They, they really bullied us and, and we got in trouble a lot of times. So did you continue to drink in the United States? Oh, well, at this point, not, I can't in the United States. It's a new, I don't speak the language, so I can't get away with some of the things I could have. I could sweet talk somebody and, and doing something, so I can't. I got no friends. I, I can't communicate with anybody. So all I had to do was, all I had was school. So I went from somebody that, you know, was barely making it in school to here where I hadn't, I was forced to be in school and do school. And then in the back of my mind is I need to learn English. So I have to do school. And that's why I was in the honor rolls in ninth grade and 10th grade. So when you think back about moving to the United States, is it a positive time? It was, it was trying. It was a trying time, I think. So... 15, finally got a girlfriend in Ecuador, and now I had to leave her, you know? Now I have to leave somebody that I'm very dear to. I, you know, she's my first girlfriend. I love her. Now I got to try the long-distance relationship. Did you do long-distance for a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was bad, bro. This is like, talk about, like, like it's just... I'm already twisted as it is, hiding all these extra baggage, all these skeletons in my closet. Mm -hmm. And then I come to here and then my dad, you know, he's doing what he's doing. He has to work and he's like, well, you're here now. You got to help with the house. You got to get to work. And I started working months after I got here. I was already 15. Once I turned 16, I started to work right away. What were you doing? Uh, McDonald's. I didn't like McDonald's because there was a lot of Ecuadorian people there and they were, they were pricks. To they your own people, too. like, you know? So I was like, forget you guys. I'll go to Wendy's. And Wendy's were like American people. They were like treating me nicer than my, <laughs> than my, my own people, and, you know? So you were making Frosties. So I was making Frosties and, and, and the weekends and, and then going to school and, and all that. Were you working drive-thru? Oh, I didn't work drive-thru because my English was horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you were... I couldn't even be in the register. Uh, they stuck me in the back and, and, and flipping burgers or the fryer or, or, or just, you know, when they used to have the, the salad bar. I don't know if they still do. I don't think they don't no more. They don't anymore. So those salad bars, they were actually fresh. In the mornings, early in the mornings on Saturdays, I had to go at like 6 in the morning and start chopping all the veggies, all the tomatoes and chop them up. So the, the salad bar was my thing on Saturdays for Wendy's. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't speak any English, but yeah, you can you can cut some veggies, mm -hmm. set it all out, and make sure that you keep it clean. That's it. You could make a good salad. I, I don't know about I presented it uh -huh. with the ingredients. Uh -huh. Then they, I don't know about making it, but. So when do you start processing all this baggage? Oh, man. Well, long distance relationship. So all the money that I started making it is just to call my girlfriend in Ecuador. Really? Oh, it gets better. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so it's my girlfriend and, and, I, and I love her, you know, and, and with all these, 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 
feelings of, of abandonment and, and all this other stuff, I get really, really attached to her. She's like my first love. And, 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 and we've, you know, because of my skeletons, I never became physical with anybody, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I could have, I could have, <laughs> I could have been like, hey, you know, I'm about to live. We can, you know. Yeah. I'm about mean? to leave the country. I'm about to leave the country. Mm-hmm. Let's seal this deal. Let's do it. <laughs> And I know it sounds horrible, but that's how but I you're think the years, old, years old. Yeah, but not me. I'm like, I don't want you any close to even get to that point because so you feared physicality. I feel physicality. I can make out with a girl, uh-huh. but once everything else started, I was like, I gotta go. Right. <laughs> Can't do it because you had baggage from being sexually violated that you did not want to be sexual with anybody. Yeah, because you associated it with that negative experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when then, then we started the, 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 the long distance the relationship. And then she, her dad lived in Spain. So she moves to Spain. And I'm like, oh, great. Now, even if I go back to Ecuador, I can't see you. So, so I went back the next year. Long distance from United States and Spain. Well, uh, the next year I went back to Ecuador. I saw her for the last time. And uh, when I came a month after that, she moved to Spain. And then we started the long distance with Spain. And I'm miserable. I'm I'm just miserable, brokenhearted, missing my country, don't speak the language, and I don't want to get any start with any girls in here. Like, like we had like girls from from in the school. There was girls that were like aggressive, and they would come to me and be like, "Hey, I think you're really cute. You should come out with me." And I was like, "I don't want to." You're off the market. I'm off the market. I got my girl in Spain. You know, everything's good. <laughs> In Spain. <laughs> this guy from Ecuador has this girl in Spain. <laughs> right? Yeah. That sounds comical, but it was the reality of it. And then um, I was miserable. I hate it. I don't recommend a long-distance relationship. If it's going to be long-distance for a, a, over a year, it's like, just, I don't know. People that does it, my hat's off to him. But I was miserable. Uh, you know, it was just miserable because I, I wanted her to be next to me. And I can't. All I can do is talk to her on the phone. So my my thought process is... You're just as miserable as I am. Let's just take a break. That's what I told her. I was like, look, I don't, I don't, I'm a caring person. And if I know how you feel, I want to be able to lessen that. I got good intentions by telling her, let's take a break. Let's concentrate on ourselves because we're both away from our countries and, and it's hard. And uh, if it's hard as you, as it's hard as me, let's take a little break. And in my mind, you know, it's like, just take a little break from each other to, to focus on ourselves. So, but we continue to talk because I'm such an important person in her life. And she is to me that we continue to talk. And, and on Christmas Day, the day before Christmas, you know, like it was tradition at that point. I would get on the phone, call mom, and then I call her. And I'm like, hey, I just call her to say Merry Christmas. She's like, stop. I was like, what's going on? She's like, I'm pregnant and I'm getting married tomorrow. And I was like, oh, what? Hold up. Like, for real? She's like, yeah. And I was like, uh, like, my brother busts in at the door and I'm like, he's like, what's wrong? I was like, yeah, you can talk to her. I was just walked off. I'm just storm out. I go to the basement and I just start crying, bawling. I'm just, you know, my feelings is just, just I'm a heartbroken heartbroken and i'm just like crying and then my brother comes and tells me what that she told him what happened and then she's like wow so now i, I get this anger towards her and i'm like i don't know i was like i was i just started to see 
girls at a point like that they were just heartless and i started being mean to them mm-hmm. and i found well at least that was something that pushed me towards actually start talking to other girls in, in high school at least i was disappointed in the, my first experience with a girlfriend and still physically physically i was i wasn't able to to open up with anybody yet mm-hmm. so yeah so when do you start processing in my senior year so I lost a year. So I only graduated when I was 18. I graduated when I was 19. On my senior year, I finally have a girlfriend. We, we started talking. We started getting physical. And, and I'm still, so I just locked everything. I, at, the point, at this point, I take my closet, I close it, I lock the key, and I just pretend it never happened. All the skeletons in there, yeah, you're just, yes. making sure they never come out ever yeah. again. So, so I, you know, I, I you know. I go in with my girl. We I have a car because I've been working the whole time. I've been here. Wendy's money. And now, well, at that point, I switched it. So I got tired of the fryers and smelling like grease all day. So, so I went to a sporting goods store. Oh, nice! And the sporting goods store, it was uh, called Models, which is like a Dick's, mm-hmm. but it's like in New York. You know, they sell more Yankees gear and Mets and stuff like that. And I got my own car. I cut school, take her out. We go to the park. And on lunchtime, there's nobody home. I bring it to my house. Hey, one thing led to another. <laughs> and, and at this point, I'm already know that I'm going to go to the Air Force after high school. And one of the first things that our recruiter says, like, don't get nobody pregnant and don't get married. You want to go to the school. You want the Air Force to help. It's like, don't do and don't get in trouble with the law. Don't get in trouble with the law. Three don't get things. nobody pregnant. Don't get married. And don't get married for because then you gotta renew the contract. At this point, I've already made my contract. I already signed it and everything. I um because the school school was was escape from home, so I did good at school. And at home, we got we got my brother that doesn't get along with my dad. My dad is trying to tell us what to do, and it's just not. I'm not comfortable at home, so I help as much as I can at school. Uh, at home because uh-huh. I was taking care of my little sister, taking oh, her from yeah. the daycare and things like that. And I try to just, just not to get in trouble, not to cause any more friction than already is at home because there's already a lot of friction with my older brother, Darwin. He, he just struggled a lot more than me. He wasn't ever, he wasn't, he was more emotional and he, all these things that I went through, he kind of went through the, the same thing. A lot of them that he, it happened to the both of us. So he has all these things and he's expressing them in a different way. Instead of being angry, he's bursting out, having fights with my dad and, and things are getting heated. My dad, like sometimes made a fist and he was about to, to hit him and he, he got, he got pretty, pretty serious. So, so my, my stay at home is not good. So I concentrate in school and concentrating on school. I'm, my thinking is like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out. I can't, I can't do this. I gotta get out. I gotta get out. I gotta get out home. I got to try to make my own life and try to have a normal life. I'm tired of fighting. I don't like fighting. I don't like, especially people that's close to me, seeing my dad. And of course, at this point, I'm, try- I'm trying to learn and create a relationship with my dad. But when they're fighting, I can't do that. And all this is in my mind. So in 10th grade, I, w- I went to my, si- my, my counselor and was like, hey, like, how can I do it so I can just go somewhere and, and be living by myself and be able to to comfortable make it on my own. And she's like, well, you can continue to be in school and you can try to get a, a scholarship from college and go to college. And I'm like, I don't want to go to school no more. I'm like, high school is enough for me. 
Then she said, well, you can join the military. I was like, all right, sign me up. On 10th grade, I took my ASPAP test. And by 11th grade, I had the Navy, the Army, and the Air Force calling me to see if I enlist with them. So by the end of 11th grade, right before I ended 11th grade, I decided to go with the Air Force, and I resigned my contract. And this is 9-11. The 11th grade, at the end of it, right after 11th grade, when I started my senior year, is 9-11 happened. I'm graduating that year, and I already have my contract signed with the Air Force. At this point, is when my, my, my parent and my, my stepmom and my dad and my brother, the, the alarms goes off, and they're like, do you sure you want to do it now? Right. Because we're about to go to war. And I'm like, well, I already signed the contract. It's over. So you signed a contract to the military. Mm-hmm. Boom, 9-11 happens. Absolutely. You have the U.S. president saying... There's going to be a war. Oh, yeah. And I'm, 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 I'm in the military now. So, Wow. Uh-huh. So you graduate high school. So, well, so before that, so now I'm with my girlfriend. <laughs> That's right. She gets pregnant, bro. That's right. So she gets pregnant. So you did one of the three things. That, that I shouldn't have done. And I, I remember she, she started to freak out. She's such a weak girl. She's, she's a good friend of mine to this day. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. It's like, I got the Air Force going on. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, but I will support. I said, this, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I want to run. I, I can't do this. We, my life is about to crumble out. I haven't even started the Air Force. And I'm, I'm already going to get kicked out. That's in the back of my mind. So, so physically, I tell her, like, I'll let you make the choice. I'm like, you make the choice, see what you want to do. And she aborts the kid. And it is another thing that I'm like, what if, you know, you always live in the what ifs. Mm-hmm. Like, what if that kid would have been alive now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those kids that, that didn't, you know, that didn't get aborted because my mom wanted to do that. And at this point, she, she has to go through it and I have to go through it. And that's one of the things that I think is one of the, the hardest things for to forgive myself is, is making that decision, not being able to provide more support. And um, and it was hard. It was hard. It wasn't hard at the time because I'm young. I'm just being selfish. But as the years went by, I quit talking to her, and and I, I did go back and reach out, and we sort out to our our issues and, and, and my, our feelings and, 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 and I express them and she expressed them and we were able to forgive each other. And I think that helped me a lot. But at that point, you know, I'm, I'm just as, I just as bad as that, my dad, you know, I mean, I was like, I never want to be like him, but I'm making so many mistakes, so many errors that another thing that I got to stuff in my closet. My, my, this time point, my closet is full. You're running out of room. I'm running out of room, bro. And I got in the military. I left. I left home and never went back. Never went back to New York, just to visit. Wow. Yeah. So you go to boot camp. Not make it through. And you have all this in your head, mm-hmm. and then you get your first assignment. You get your first job. And I imagine you have some skeletons in your closet, like you said but you're not taking any time to go in there and remove them. Oh, no, bro. At one point, you know, they're going to come out, and they came out. You know, I'm able to speak to them because I've dealt with them. I made peace with them. 
my faith has helped me. But there was, that's what I got involved with drugs and, and drinking because of that. I think a lot of my first marriage, I've been married, married twice, just like my dad. <laughs> we married twice. The first one, I think, was one of the reasons because of that, because I didn't deal with them. And, 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 and I just wanted a way out. What forces you to deal with them? Um, so I'm still drinking, you know, I'm doing all these things. I'm doing bad things. Um, at this point, uh, everything increased. I, I already, when I deal with them is after my, my first divorce, my, my, my first marriage fails. And at this point I'm feeling like a failure. Like when I, when I got out of the air force, I'm like, I want to be married. My, my thought process was I'm going to get married by 25, but 26, I want to have my first kid. I got married by 25, but 26, I have my first kid naturally because my first wife, she had three kids from her previous marriage because she has her own story, which is, is beautiful too. But you know, she had to deal with her own things, but she has three kids and she's only my age, just a, about a, a little, about a year older than me, but she has three kids. Her first kid is when I think when she was like 13, 14, I fall in love with the kids because when I, I met the kids, I saw myself in them, vulnerable, my mom's at work, and they have a dad that's not present in their life. So I fell in love with the kids. I love, to this day, I love them, they're, they're my kids. To this day, I, you know, they call me that, the only father figure that known is me. I wasn't the best father at that time because I had my own issues. But uh, I stuck around because of them. and. And we made our relationship was focused on them, providing for them, giving them a better future that, that we neglected where we were at. Mm-hmm. And then my, 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 my son born, Ethan, and, and, and then things are going bad. Every, every other year, every year is like, I, 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 we're getting a fight and I, I, I just want to go. I just want to go somewhere. I just, but I, and now I'm tied up because I got kids. So I couldn't. So I didn't want to, the thought of being divorced is like, I don't want that in my, I mean, I got so much in me that I don't want something else to add up to the list. So I just try to make it work. Always go back. I stick with her again and again. Then we, and then she gets pregnant again with my, my, my youngest daughter. But at this time, things are bad. I'm starting to get angry. The, all these things are starting to come up. My, my, is starting to reflect in my, in my character, in my, you know me. You know, I'm a, I'm a caring person. I like to, to always try to focus on the positive side of things. But at this point, I'm, an, I'm always on edge. I'm always yelling. I'm always screaming. Uh, one day, I, I grab my, my oldest kid. I grab him by the neck. I push him against the wall, put a hole in the wall. And I'm just realize how angry I am. I'm angry at everything. And it's not their fault. So my thought process is step back. Don't be absent from their lives, but step back. You know, the pressure of providing for five kids at this point. We just had built a house and everything. And I started just crumbling. Everything just started. All the, the anger, all the disappointment, all the unwantedness, all, the, all these feelings started to pop up. And now I'm just an angry person. So I started drinking again. And I said, like, I can't do it no more. So I walk out. And then when we get the, when I, we, I walk out, it was like a starting all over again. I said, I look, hey, keep the cars, keep the house, keep everything. I just grabbed my blanket, 
and my clothes in my back and I just walk out. Where do you go? Friend's house at that point. And I was, I was living with $200 a week for, for until we, the divorce is settled and everything. And, and I'm just drinking, drinking my, my, my troubles away, living on energy drinks and alcohol. And, you know, and I started to, like, every time I was drinking, I started to, like, deal with this, all these feelings come up and, and I, and, and, and it was bad. It was, and then I came, couldn't see my kids because, you know, I can't blame her. She, she's a good woman and she, she, she was hurt. She didn't want to get divorced. And now she has five kids and then, you know, a broken marriage and financially things started to crumble because she can't do it by herself and the kids are suffering. So I couldn't see the kids. She was angry. I can't blame her. And so she wouldn't let me see the kids. I couldn't see my son. I couldn't see my daughter or anybody. And it started to affect me more and affect me more. And then uh, my, my, my health started to like, like get worse, you know? And, 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 and I know the question was, when do I, I face with this? Anymore, you know? And I, I still have the question in my mind. I just, <laughs> yeah, right. I just don't want to keep talking and, 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 and then, you know, think that we forgot about the question. But, but all these things, it matters because everything of this is affecting, you know, the decisions I start making later. So something happened to me and health wise, my, my appendix had got clogged up. Okay. And I, I had a pain in my stomach. I ignored it for the, I just ignored it. Pop up a few pills. I got drunk. Didn't feel it. Keep on going. So my appendix had clogged up and it started, it got infected. So it didn't burst it, but it did got clogged up and it, it like basically died and it started to spread infection. By the time they got me in the, in the hospital, the doctor said like, how do you not feel any pain? It's like, it's the congrene started to set in it. How do you just live with pain, you know, but pain at that point, that physical pain on top of the psychological pain that I had, I was accustomed to it. You were numb. So I didn't really care. I was just business as usual. Didn't see my kids. And then uh, the, the, I remember the, how I even, I think at this point, you know, I'm ignoring everything and I'm not taking care of myself because I don't just don't care. That um, and my it was it was my ex-wife that that came in and she forced me to go to the hospital because we throughout our marriage I think it kind of affected too is I always worked second shift so I can take care of the kids while she was in first shift and working so when I came home at night she would drop off the kids in the morning at this point when we separated she would drop them off so I can take them to school and she go to work when she gets off work I'll go to work so she takes care of the kids so now this is our relationship you know. So in the morning she comes in to, to drop off my daughter, my young, my baby. And, and I'm barely walking. So she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I just got this pain. I think I ate something bad. I don't know. And then I just like, kind of like just lean over the couch and I, I'm st- I shaking. And I was like, she's like, you need to go to the doctor. And I'm like, I'll be all right. Just leave Jasmine here. I'll be all right. And she's like, no, you're going to the doctor. And then when she takes me to the doctor, make doctor miss a couple of tests. And she's like, we got to surgery tonight. And when they say surgery, I'm trying to run out of the out of the clinic. I'm like, no, nobody cutting me up. Get out of here. But I needed it. So then they got surgery. And after that, I, I slowed down a little bit. But I was still doing drugs. I was still doing, you know, alcohol and everything. And and the weekends, I started, I had my kids, I started to have my kids every other weekend. Every, the weekends I don't have them is my, my chance to just, just act out. And then one day, this is, this is I think this is the pointing, turning point. Where I finally had to start making, make it, you know, that, that the slap in the face. For some people said like rock bottom where, you know, it's bad. 
is I, w- I was taking my, my son Ethan. He he was going to school and I was dropping him off of school. And he got a, a sad face. He's a, 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 when he was young, he's always energetic. He's always cracking jokes. He's, he's always smiling. He always has a good attitude. And, and I see him, he's super sad. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, kid? He's like, Dad, I'm just sad. I'm like, well, why are you sad? And he's like, because if you would have died, I would have, that would have made me really, really sad. You know, he didn't say it in that eloquent way that where, where like it would like hit me like like really hard. It's just that's it. And so when I drop him off, and then my my mind, I'm like, how bad are you? How horrible are you carrying your life? Yeah, you fell, but how is it that now you're shaping, you're impacting the very kids that you say you love? You love kids. You say you you see yourself in the, in, in in them, and, and but they're affected by it right now. That's the point that that because you're not taking care of yourself, that he has to have the thought in his mind that he could have lived without me, without a father. And then what what would that achieve for you, my my kid? Mm-hmm. And that's when when I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I had to stop. I had to stop. So I crawled myself back to church and. And when I did that, I was like, Pastor, I'm coming back to church. I'm going to stay in church. But uh, you got to give me a few, a few, a few weeks because <laughs> I got to go turn myself in from, uh, from, from being in trouble legally. Mm-hmm. And I have to be in house arrest for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you had some things to take care of. I needed to take care of some things legally because all these issues, you know, if you live life, in a reckless way, and you don't think that legalistically something's not going to happen, it's going to happen. You can ignore him like I tried, but when you when it's time to come back, you have to deal with all of them. You have to have the courage to deal with them. So I had to tell my pastor, like, look, I'm going to be in house arrest. I'm going to have an ankle bracelet for like three months I was in it. And I remember it was so sad. It was so shameful, too, because my kids had to come in, and I had to, they had to see it in my ankle. And I had to sleep with this because I got to charge it. And I got to go to work where pants start to cover him. But it's so sad. Mm-hmm. And, and, and at least he's like, well, but you make sure you come back. And I'm like, I'm come back. I'm going to be at church. Don't worry about it. But just, don't, just know I'm not going away because I'm, I'm backsliding. Again. I'm going away because legalistic, I have to take care of this. <laughs> and the change started to happen slowly. You know, the first thing I did, I quit drinking energy drinks. Because they were affecting my health, they're you know, to a certain point. They 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 purposely give you energy, but your body sometimes is not designed to have that much energy. You know, it's a drug. Yep. So I quit that, and then I quit smoking because I used to smoke too. And then I started slowly quitting drinking and slow my drinking and everything and and and, and everything. And I started to change. I started to be more involved in church and and I started to 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 pray about it. I didn't talk to many people about it, but I started to. I, I remember one time the pastor was like, "Put, put all your prayers, put it in this box, because God says, cast all your cares, all your troubles, cast them to me, and I'll take care of them." And I, I wrote them down in a paper, and I started writing down in a paper, and I, and I put them in a little box that he put it. It's like every week I'm gonna have this box here, and it's like, and what you tell God is between you and you, but I want you to write it down and put it in this box. And I started writing them down. And I started to to put him in the box, and I started to 
to me, you know, like some people, some some churches make altar calls, and I was the one in the altar call, crying my eyes out. You mean, God, how can I be being so bad? God, how can I help me find forgiveness to to forgive the people that have done me wrong? Because I finally had to start making those choices where I had to start forgiving, not for them, but because of me. Because it's hard. It's hard to forgive. You know, how, how are you going to forgive? You know, because I started to talk to people and friends. When I was drunk, I would tell them, you know, like this happened to me when I was younger, dude. And I was like, and I, I just want to go fly to Ecuador, kill that guy, kill the, the people, and, and then just come back. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I was so angry that I was planning the revenge. The revenge, mm-hmm. and, and and anybody would tell you, you know, a rapist, uh, somebody that molests kids, they deserve death. That's what a lot of people say, mm-hmm. and and that was what my mind was, and and I needed to find forgiveness because for me, wishing that it was already making me more angry. How can I wish revenge when the guy says revenge is mine? That's that's not my place to judge. So, what do you think about anger and harboring anger? It's like a little worm that is inside an apple. You don't know it's in there and it's eating everything out. But from the outside, the apple looks like it's, you know, it's really good. And I've heard it's you cool. also have a good phrase about it being a Lego. Oh, I tell you about the Lego, yeah. So, and, and you know, this is like, like I'm already in my right mind. I'm, I'm, I'm progressing. I'm moving forward, doing better with myself. And I'm... I told my, my my kids, you know, they hated the move. We just moved seven months ago. And, you know, they want to be with their kids and, and their the friends and, you know, and all that. And it's hard. Moving is hard. But uh, but but they started to struggle with some of the some of the, the other things because my, my stepkid, she, she, you know, I'm not her dad, but she got her own issues, her own things that she needed to deal with. And and, and, and she remembered, she started to remember things that, that she saw when she was younger and things like that. And, and she started to like have anger and stuff like that. And I, I seen that. I recognize that because I know her. I know it. I recognize it. You've been there. I've been there and I know it. And I was like, you have to let things go. And she was like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to forgive him. You know, I don't want to do it. And I was like, all right. And I started praying about it. I was like, man, how can you teach that? To a kid, how can you teach a kid how to let go? Letting go as an adult is hard, but how can you explain that to a kid and put it in words to a kid? So, my son is dealing with that stuff too. You know, I got my my son and my and my stepkid with me. Yeah, yeah, they're good kids. I, I really, I really, I'm really glad. Then you know, so, so I sat them down on the table because sometimes when they get in trouble, it's like we go to the table, we gotta talk about it. We're not gonna go sleep on it. We gotta talk about it. So I was thinking. So so in the morning, I would like text my wife. I'm like, babe, like, I need something because I got something to explain the kids, but I need something. She's like, what do you need? I was like, I need a bowl that has something like like spines on it that 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 will, that will squish and they'll poke you. And she's like, well, I look around. It's like I don't know if I'll find anything. And the day goes by, I never hear from her. And I was like, hey, but do you check that? Do you go to Walmart? Do you look, see if there's anything? It's like, I got nothing. I was busy. Like, I don't I don't know what you want. I don't know what you're going to do, but I don't have anything. <laughs> and I was like, all right. I'm like, all right. So I'm I'm thinking, I was like, what else? What else? What else? I need something that they can squeeze that it, it will hurt if they squeeze it. So, you know, and, and there's always jokes about that. It hurts to step on a Lego. And I'm like, Lego. I'm like, a Lego. That's perfect. 
I need a Lego. And we got tons of Legos all over the floor. No, just kidding. We got Legos. I mean, you know, I got kids. None of the floor. That would be bad. But <laughs> I got Legos. So I went in and I, I, I tried to grab one that, that will fit in your hand. The, the one with the, the, with, the, with the eight little things, eight little buns, whatever. So I grabbed and set them down. I was like, here, grab a Lego. And I got a couple more Legos in the middle of the table. And I grabbed a Lego. And I said, I want you to hold it in your hand. I want you to squeeze it as hard as you can. And they were like, okay. And I'm like, all right, I want you to squeeze it. And squeeze it as hard as you can for the longer the longer you can. So I start squeezing it. And I can see in their faces it start to hurt. And I can see also that, that their attitude is don't show weakness. Because, you know, that's what we, you're strong. You put it front, you always show strength. So my stepkid, she's like, no, you don't hurt. Like, squeeze it harder then. You don't hurt. Like, squeeze it harder then. If it don't hurt, give it time. Because the longer you keep it, you know it's hurting. I can tell in your eyes that it hurts. I can tell in your expression that it hurts. But I was, my, my intention wasn't to hurt him, so don't, don't, you know. So and then and they're like, all right, now why are you still squeezing it? I said, like, I want you to do something with a Lego, build something, because Legos are to build. I was like, build something. There's Legos in the middle. Try to put it together. And they're like, I can't. And I'm like, all right, well then, uh, okay, if you can, then try to pick another Lego so you can put it together in your hand or something. It's like, pick, try to pick a, another Lego with your hand, but without letting it go. So they can't pick it up because their hand is a fist. And said, so without undoing the fist, we'll try to pick another Lego. It's like, I can't. I'm like, all right. It's like, let go, Lego go. It's like, all right. It's like, this is the hurt that you guys try to harbor, the unforgiveness, the things that you don't want to let go, but they still hurt you. It's like, this, this, this is the Lego right there. It's like, and like, the longer you squeeze it, the longer you keep it, the longer it hurts. And it's like, and, and imagine it's like, it could be people, it could be relationships. That, so if you have a relationship that's hurting you, then the longer you squeeze it, it's like, it hurts. And the longer you squeeze it, it hurts. And, and I guess one other thing is like, remember how you couldn't pick up any Legos? It's like any other relationship that might, that, that might try to come in your life to help you to, to build on you. It's like, you can't pick it up because your hand's still closing, holding on to that, to that old relationship, to that old Lego. It's like you have to let go of the Lego. It's like you have to open up your hand. Because now when your hand's open, guess what? I can put another Lego in your hand. I can take another Lego. It's like you, I can start building. Now, now that you have your hand open and you can actually let the Lego open, you can start building with it. Wow. Because that's what Legos are meant for. They're meant to build for it. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have to learn how to let it go. What a great analogy for learning how to forgive. And let go. So how did you ultimately learn to forgive? Was it in church? It was church, man. It was God. Was prayer natural to you? No. It's hard. It's awkward, especially when you pray in front of people. So it was awkward thing mm-hmm. you can do. But like I said, you know, I, I, I preach some, sometimes. I, we did a live and I started to see myself. I started to pick up on things. And, and I don't think that was for it. But when I first started, you know, that's me, that was me bawling in my eyes out in the, in the altar. <laughs> oh, please, God. And I started to pray for forgiveness. And I, and I had to, in my mind, I had to let those things go too, like the Lego. You know, I, I could explain it and put it in, a, in an example because I knew what it was. 
I knew that you needed to let go. I needed to let go of the anger. I needed to let go of the unforgiveness. I needed to understand that I am worthy. I I, I deserve a, a good life, even though I've been divorced. I've been I've been done all these things. It's like you know we deserve better as people. We want something better, but when we were stuck in those things and can't let go of those things, we. We we're not allowing ourselves. We own ourselves. We we our own saboteurs. Is that what you say? Saboteurs of self sabotage. The self sabotage of our own life. Sometimes, like I was doing it. What's your favorite Bible verse? My favorite Bible verse: Philippians three thirteen. Tell me about it. Philippians three thirteen is that when Paul is speaking to the efficient the Philippians and he's saying that I have not achieved it yet, but this is one thing I always do. Is forgiving, forgiving that what's is is in my past, and reaching forward to the goal that's ahead. Mm-hmm. It might not be word by word, but that's the gesture. Mm-hmm. It's pretty close, I'm pretty sure. But because that that's the speaks so good to me, you know. It's like because if I focus on my past, just knowing the little things that that that, that happened in my past, if we look at the statistics, I shouldn't be here. I should be probably a mental hospital with, you know, I'll probably end up, my anger could have ended up me killing somebody. I could have been in prison, you know. My past has so many, it started unfair. I can say that it's unfair to me because I didn't choose some of the things. Some of the choices were, were chosen by me. But if I start focusing on that, I will never know what's ahead, and 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 I, and I hold on to that because, like I said, I, and, and I'm not claiming to be perfect because Paul is very explicit when he is clear when he says that he says that I have not achieved it yet, but this one thing I really do is like I forgive. That's what's behind, and I reach forward to what's ahead. Yeah, yeah. Philippians three thirteen. Yeah, it's around there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So. How would you say one overcomes their demons? You gotta face them. You gotta fight them. You know? How do I overcome my, my anger demon? Is I make peace with it. The opposite from it, you know? I started to, to, to be more patient. Instead of just snapping, you know? Just blowing off every little thing. I was like, you know, I tried to, hey, this is not me. This is not me. Learn how to process things. Learn how to slow down, because I think when you you so fast, you don't your reactions are quick. So everything is is angry. Just just the first reaction that you do, and you had to. As I think, it maybe it's a skill that as you get older, you know, you you develop that that you slow down, think about it, and same thing. You know, I mean, God gave us two, one mouth and two ears for a reason. You know, we yeah. we listen twice and then what we speak. Yeah. Tell me about after the turning point, you get plugged into church. Mm-hmm. What starts happening in your life? I started to reach out to people that, that I heard. Like, that's when I reached out to my uh, to my friend, uh, that, you know, my, my girlfriend that had a kid that she got to divorce it. I bought it. I was like, hey, I know it's probably past. I know it's like when she first got my text, she was like, I was like, I don't know her. I don't know why you did that. Now, because I need to start making peace with this to talk about it to have the courage it takes 
it takes a lot of strength to hold that inside of you, you know, sp explain it. But it takes a lot of courage to open up and, 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 and actually start talking about it to resolve it, you know. And a lot of people rather be strong than courageous, you know. Come on. You know, I mean, it's, it's true. It is true. It's easy to, to just be strong, to just go to the gym and lift something heavy and feel good about yourself. Then, you know, go understanding and, and have the courage to, to do something that you've never done. Two different things. Two different things. Oftentimes we mix them up, though. Oh, yeah. And they can go together. Sure. You know. But we reward strength sometimes when really we should be rewarding courage. Mm -hmm. Because you, at the beginning of this, you said you locked the closet with your skeletons in there. And you were trying to throw that key as far away as you could. But after this turning point, it sounds like, for instance, you call your girlfriend, your former girlfriend, who whenever you all were teenagers, she had an abortion. And you start going through these skeletons one by one. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you start addressing these skeletons one by one? It's hard. It's just a long list, you know. <laughs> the first one was with the people that I can reach them. I don't know where they're at. The people that, that hurt me when I was a baby. Well, I'm not a baby, but a, a young kid. I don't know where they are, but, I, but one of the things that I started doing is I was started to pray for them. Instead of just saying, I forgive you, you know, I started to pray for them and be like, hey, I pray that they didn't do what they did to me to any more kids. And I pray that they're in a better spot right now. But I started to plead God for their lives. Wow. So praying because a blessing over it, them. Instead of, because that's what the Bible says, pray for your enemies. You know, and I started to pray for them. And, and and then inside there was something that started to work. And it was like, okay, it's like 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 when a preacher once explained something to me. He said, "How does a thief stop being a thief?" Have you ever heard that question before? What do you think? How, when does a thief stop being a thief? I think a thief stops being a thief when he actively in his mind tells himself, "I'm no longer going to steal." Yeah. And he doesn't anymore. <clears throat> and he doesn't anymore. So he, this preacher, once he said, a thief stopped being a thief when he goes, gets his own job, and starts giving out of his own job. Oh, wow. There's, there's, there's an inward work. Mm -hmm. When there's an inward work in you, is expressed. Because you no longer thinking, now you're giving. So when you're not thinking, the opposite from taking is giving. So a thief takes and takes and takes. Uh, unforgiving person uh, is angry and takes and takes and takes. But now when you have unforgiveness in your heart, you don't wish well on people. But when you start praying for them, even though they might not deserve it, that's not my place to say. But you start giving a blessing, giving. You start interceding for them in prayer. And, mm -hmm. and it changes your, your mind. It changes your, your heart. Set. And it's hard. That's some of the hardest prayers I ever did. They were in my closet. Wishing good on the people that hurt me. And it's, it's, I get emotional sometimes, I'm sorry. Because it's hard. It brings me back, not to the, to the unforgiveness, it brings me back to the, to, the, to the sentiment when I was praying that, 
the peace that I got from God, the peace that I started to to receive, I started to feel. It brings me back to the, the spot, the place where where change happened, when, when things started to be different. And it just it just makes me glad. And that's why I get emotional sometimes when I talk about those things. Because you were set free mm-hmm. from those feelings of contempt and yeah. anger and bitterness. Yeah, that was the, that, and that started, you know. And then, of course, I talked to my mom. I made peace with her. And I've, I've talked to my dad. I've told him, you know, it's all right. I know. And I don't have the best relationship with him. I don't think I've, I've ever will have like you know like a lot of people grow up with their dad and their 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 dad is the best friend that they can tell them anything they call each other they live in the same city, but I live still in New York and I text them very seldomly. I you know when his birthday, which is September tenth I think. You say Feliz cumpleaños. Yeah, and and you know and and on Christmas I tell him Merry Christmas and when I hear something bad I you know try to reach out but it's just i don't think we ever gave us a chance you know he was too busy with his life i got busy with my own you know so with that being your experience of your father you had a lot of pressure and i know you said i don't want to be like my dad Mm, because i think that's what we all do i don't want to be that what we hate the things that we see, we think, oh, I want to change that whenever I get the opportunity. And then as you get further in fatherhood, you recognize yourself doing things that you said you would never want to do, mm-hmm. which results in more guilt and more mm-hmm. shame. And at some point, as you process that, you get to pray for the people who hurt you. You get to let go of that anger and bitterness and then also forgive yourself, which is arguably the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And then what are you thinking about fatherhood then? Like, what's your goal? So when I, when I first was experienced to have a father, my, my, my first kids, my, my, first, my wife's first marriage kids, I adopted them. They got my last name, but uh, I think I wasn't ready for it. I jumped so hard on it so, so fast. And I was just out of the military, so I was super strict with everything, you know. I needed it. I needed it. I learned how to fold my shirt six inches exactly. And I needed to do that with a ruler. I would check it. And, and I don't think I was fair for them. So I started to give grace and everything. I applied grace to everything. And, you know, and of course, at that time, I was a more angry person. But now I, with my kids, I'm like, like I told them I would be always be honest with them. And I try to be as honest as I can with everything that I do. Because it's just easier. It's easier to not hide anything. And, and my kids started to understand that. So <laughs> we, we watched a show and then, and then I would, t- I would tell them, you know, I was like, Hey, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't I, I'd say I, w- I will try my best. I won't promise you. And I don't like making promises because it seems like we always fall short of them. But I said, when I tell you that I'm going to do my best not to lie to you, it's like, be sure that you're ready to hear the answer. Mm. You know, and then he, he, he understood and he was like, all right. And then he, there was a joke about a seaman with the Navy and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the show that we watch. And then he is like, why do they laugh about that? Dad? And I'm like, all right. Yeah, here we go. It's one of the times when I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. And I know it's gruesome and it might be kind of vivid, but this is what it is. And then he was like, oh, okay. 
all right it's like but it's like if you ever not ready for an answer i would always tell you that you're not ready for an answer mm-hmm. but like but make sure you think about what you asked too because i will i will tell you like it is and i do that to my kids and and, and i try to always be honest and i try to instead of just yelling i try to sit on the table and talk which i think they they dread it <laughs> I, I, if I was a kid, I would rather than my my mom beat me, like spank me, than just sit in the table and start to talk about everything. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it, I know the kids hate it, but I know it's different than just reacting to it and explaining to them and kind of like work through it. So we talk now. We talk more than you know. They it seems like sometimes I talk the most. Yeah. But I think that's how kids are, you know. I mean, they're not going to express themselves, but I, they know that I'll give them the option that they can. And you set the lead. Mhm. You set the lead. And that's something that you get to exemplify now as mm-hmm. someone in that father figure, that leadership role of being a parent mm-hmm. is being able to set the lead. When are you gonna are you gonna be how many kids do you think you're gonna have? You know Annie and you, I you want to go back and forth on this. Yeah? How many you how many Annie? I have I have a number in my head and she has a different number. I have You have more than Annie. Other way. Other way? No yeah. way. <laughs> and I think the reason why is because Annie grew up with three, so she wants three. Yeah. Mm. But I would love to be a father and that's something that I look forward to, and I was talking to somebody the other day, someone that I really respect, and they were talking to me about fatherhood. And it was the hardest time of their life was fatherhood. Oh, yeah. And it's a wild thing thinking that everything that I've gone through, there's a chance, well, everything coming up ahead, God willing, it's wild to think, wow, this could be one of the most rewarding, one of the hardest things. It's interesting looking at fatherhood before getting there, you know, conceptualizing it. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's, I, I'm trying to remember who it was, but they told me, we always say I'm not ready for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the only way you get ready is by being a part of it. So, yeah, that's something that Annie and I would love to be a part of, and I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for you guys. Yeah. See you guys grow as a family and everything. I know you guys are, are, are amazing. I really do hope you guys know that I appreciate you guys and, and getting to know you guys here and everything. Yeah, we appreciate you too. You, you and your family is an all star, and it now it, now it, because you would have known me like 10, 15 years ago. I don't know if we would have. We, we wouldn't have been hanging out, huh? No, heck no. I don't know if you would have hung out with me 15 years ago either. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have just been a teenager. But what is like a final message you'd like to give to everybody out there? Well, I, I haven't talked about my wife. I have to mention my wife now. <laughs> you, you better know, talk about your yeah, wife. Yeah, because she is an amazing woman. And, and, and you know, she's, she's a big part of my, 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 my journey. And, and, and I love her. She, she, I respect her. Uh, she has such a forgiving heart. Is that your favorite thing about her? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and and talking about honesty, you know, when, when we was uh, dating and stuff, and and I was like, like, I don't want no more kids. It's like, there's no way. <laughs> and I was like, no way. I got a 20, at that time, I was like 24, 25 kid. 
and a nine-year-old is like, there's no way I'm starting over again. Heck no. There's no way. And she was like, good, because I don't want any either. I'm like, ah, this is a, at least we read that out of the table, you know. And and on my second time around, because like I, said, I was married one, once already. On my second time around, if anybody's, you know, single and is looking, it's like, be picky. The decision that you make right now, if you settle before you choose your partner for life, that stuff will come back and hurt you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well. I've had many, too many failed relationships where I know that you have to be honest from the very beginning. Right now, I think we live in such a culture that that the selfies and, and everybody always put in the little perfect picture keeps you from really dealing with what's what's the, the meat and bones of our relationship, which is the friendship and the, the connection, the emotional and, and personally the, the, the connection that you have with your partner that that's what matters. I think that's what me and my wife are work so well is that the emotional connection that we have. And, and then that from the very beginning, we were always honest. You know, she was like, I'm a little weird. And I was like, I'm really weird, <laughs> you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something that, that she found out after we got married. It was like, she, she knew going into it. So she needed to expect it, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's really important to be always honest. You and know? you were much more comfortable with yourself the second time around, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, like I said, I was able to express the, the things that I wanted. Right. And I stayed, stayed them and I expressed them to make sure that it wasn't a surprise later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's an all-star. Oh, she's, she's amazing. I do. Mm-hmm. I love her. You got a good group dynamic. Now, mm-hmm. that being said... What are you all looking forward to? Waiting forward for what? What do you mean? You know, Annie and you just said no more kids. Oh, now it's like letting my kids get out of the house so I can just, you know, go adventure and, and live this adventure spirit. I, I, I still have it. Yeah. I haven't gotten rid of it. Yeah. You know, yeah, I still have it. My wife, my wife loves to at least try it. Everything wants to, you know. <laughs> She she hates uh, heights and things like that, and I love heights. She prefers the ocean over the mountains, but but hey, I love mountains. I'm ready to go do something, yeah. and I'm looking forward to the kids. It might like sound like selfish, but I look forward for them to go to go have their own lives, have their own families, and just have freedom. You know, just be free and and go go do things for the church. Go 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 explore. Go travel. Hopefully. You know, be still continue to be involved in the church and, and, and spread the word. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of the times we think the church is uh, is about people that is judgmental to the other world, but uh, the truth of the matter is that that church is about forgiveness and reconciliation. And and I think we need to, you know, make sure that the people understand that the church is not about who's right and who's wrong. Church is about forgiving and grace. For the people that comes to it, you know, it's not about pointing the fingers about, oh, waiting with open arms. It starts with love. Yeah. Starts, love is everything, man. Mm-hmm. Love is good. Final message. Final message. Oh, man. You know what I asked? My, I want to ask you a question, this question. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I know you're trying to cut me out. I, know it's, <laughs> I don't know how long we're going to it. But. I asked this to my wife the other day, and I was like, if you were to put your life in one sentence up to this point, your life, where is it up to this point? If you can describe it with one sentence, what it would be? Oh, boy. What would that one sentence be? She said beautifully broken, and she posted something about it. 
because you know her, her story is a beautiful and i know someday she's going to be able to express it but that she has a good story too and and beautifully i think because we have such a broken beginning that we connect so well but you know she said beautifully broken so what's yours i would want to lean into he was someone who encouraged others i want to be a natural encourager and that's what i hope to do with this is everybody that comes on they're an opportunity to encourage someone else mm -hmm. which you've done through this and you are a walking testament of encouragement and i get to encourage you by telling you that but at the same time anybody who listens to this if they identify with any of that what you're going through mm -hmm. i can tell them indirectly that they can get through it and they can thrive because that's something you've done mm -hmm. and you're thriving right now. And it's so cool to see that. And you're an inspiration and I hope to grow as a man to that level. But I hope to encourage people and let this be a part of that. Every single episodes, just inspiration that people have stories and oftentimes the stories are going to be better than anything you could have ever imagined. Mm -hmm. What'd you answer? My answer, I still, I've been thinking about it. Oh. But I just don't, I can't wrap everything up because I had such a broken beginning, mm -hmm. but it's not over yet. You there know, you I go. Think, I think that's what it is, you know. My beginning might have been uh, starving and, and, and I probably almost didn't start. Mm -hmm. Struggled to start. Seriously, it wasn't supposed to start. You know, mom, you know, it's, it's such a small beginning. And, and, and I've heard about never be, 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 uh, be ashamed of a small beginning. You know, and I, I think my, I want my, my life and, and, and what all those people are here is like, I had so many times where I wanted to quit. And I had the opportunity to quit. And I've tried to quit, you know. And I've, I've have, I mean, the, the, is you know there's so much more and 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 I try to quit and I've dealt with that, but I keep going. And and if anybody's listening and they find any encouragement out of this, is is just keep going because failure is not failing at something. Failure is stop trying. So mm -hmm. so it's, it's all about keep trying and keep pushing, keep keep pushing. I know it's hard. And I know it gets it gets rough sometimes, but you have to keep going because you don't know. You gotta, you know, like like Philippians, like I said, you gotta reach forward to what's ahead. Mm -hmm. Continue to reach forward. Failure isn't final. Yeah, you're a rock star. Hey, not, not as much as you, bro. Maybe we're like neck and neck. Neck and neck. It's, it's a tight race, but we're not done yet. It's <laughs> like a tight race, but forth. we're not done yet. <laughs> Which is a great place to be. So <clears throat> thank you for being here. Thank you for the invite. Mm -hmm. It was fun. Yep. And folks, we'll see you next time. Sir. Sure.